The Old Testament reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 6, verses 1 to 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. Indeed, by a mighty hand he will let them go. By a mighty hand he will drive them out of his land. God also spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they resided as aliens. I have also heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the, Is whom the Egyptians are holding as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will free you from the burdens of the Egyptians and deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with, a mighty, and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. I shall know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. Moses told this to the Israelites, but they would not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their, and their cruel slavery. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his land. But Moses spoke to the Lord, the Israelites have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me, poor speaker that I am? Thus the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them orders regarding the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, charging them to free the Israelites from the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel reading this morning is from Luke 9, chapters 1 to 6. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Then Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. He said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, nor bread, nor money, nor even an extra tunic. Whatever house you stay or you enter, stay there and leave from there. Wherever they do not welcome you, as you are leaving that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They departed and went through the villages, bringing the good news and curing diseases everywhere. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's pray. O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight today. You are our rock, you are our redeemer, and we need you. And so we ask now for your blessing upon us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was great to hear Terry give that amazing uh, announcement and sermonette. Um, I'm really glad to know that there's a good reason that a third of the people leave right before I get up here and then come back as soon as I'm done. Um, glad it's not just me. But in all seriousness, um, so much of what Terry just said in her, in her charge to us as a church is honestly what this sermon is intended to be about as well. It's about belonging, belonging, and what it means to belong to God, what it means to belong to the people of God. To whom do you belong? To whom do you belong? 
God makes this promise in this text, I will be your God and you will be my people. It's a promise of belonging. And as Terry just mentioned, as she was painting this picture of our church as a body, the many-membered body where all of the parts work together in a common way toward a common goal, living out together this common story of Jesus, she said it's countercultural what we're doing. It's countercultural. It's countercultural to practice belonging in this way because we're living in kind of a weird time to be alive. In many ways, it's a great time to be alive. We've got all kinds of advances and um, the benefits of technology and modern medicine and so many things that make parts of life better. But then there are these other pressures as well that exist now because of these same kinds of advances, right? And scholars who study our time will note things like a feature of our society in this secular age is its cross-pressuredness. That we now live as exposed to so many different kinds of ideas, so many different stories of suffering as our world is hyper-connected, as we're aware of things going on all over the world and we're aware of them at almost instantaneous speed. And we're also aware of so many different worldviews and ways of making sense of life. We are also increasingly detached from one another as our heads are down in our screens and our ears are plugged up with our headphones and all the things, right? We are living in a way where we are increasingly belonging to no one in practice, where we are increasingly belonging simply to ourselves. And then from that mode of operating in the world, figuring out if I can belong to anyone else, it's going to be to the people who promote my own story, my own self-driven, self-directed journey, right? And so those who don't support that or aren't promoting that are in some way getting in the way of that. And we begin to draw lines. We begin to carve up society. We begin to isolate And as we each kind of do that more and more, what we're seeing in our society is we're becoming more and more and more fragmented. We're becoming more and more likely to say, I don't belong to you and you don't belong to me. But the promise of God that is at the heart of this Exodus story is a promise of belonging. It is that this God who created all things the God we meet in the book of Genesis, right? Who creates the heavens and the earth, who speaks into existence all that is, and then makes himself known as the Lord of creation. That this same Lord now shows up in book two of the Bible as the great liberator, the redeemer, the one who's not just the one who makes the world, but now works through the things that he has made to rescue his people and to bring them into the place that he has made for them so that they will live with him in a kind of intimacy that is special, that is life-giving, and that is intended for the good of the whole world. I will be your God and you will be my people. That's the promise. And there's this vertical dimension of that promise, right? It's this, we belong to God, but there's this horizontal dimension as well that we collectively, the people 
of God. Belong to one another because God has put us together. So as we continue in our journey through the Exodus story, I want us to think this morning about what it means for us to belong to God. What does it mean to be not just an individual, but a creature with a creator? And not just a creature with a creator, but a beloved creature who is sought after and redeemed, loved and rescued by this same living God who made all things. And what does it mean then, not only to be a creature and not only a beloved creature, but to be family to one another because God has put us together to be that people, the people that belong to him. So as we make our way through the story, there are three aspects of it that I want us to focus on. The first is just simply this promise, this promise that God makes. Second is judgment because that makes its way into this text. And I think we need to spend a little bit of time of thinking about in what way is judgment good news for an Exodus people? And then lastly, I want us to think about plausibility because Moses has a hard time believing this promise in the story. And I think we often have a hard time believing this promise. We have a hard time living into it. And I want us to think about why. And what would it take for you to be able to believe more deeply, to be able to embark more fully on the Exodus journey that God is calling you on? Out of Egypt, I call my child. So we're not starting from scratch here. We're in Exodus chapter six. And the last time we were here, we were actually a couple of chapters earlier in the story. So a few things have happened in between last week and this week. So last week we had part three of Moses's initial encounter with God at Sinai, right? So we've spent actually three weeks at the burning bush going through this whole prolonged dialogue of God calling Moses, revealing to Moses his name, I am, and then saying, I want you to go to Pharaoh to deliver my people out of enslavement in Egypt. And then we got the whole back and forth, right? With Moses is like, there's no way I'm the right person for this job. I'm not good at talking. I'm, you know, all the things. And so there was this whole back and forth. There's this Moses is protesting, God persisting. And then finally, God saying, I will be with you. It's not your fitness, Moses, that will make this work. It is mine. I will be with you. And he allows him to take Aaron to be his spokesperson. And then what happens after that, the part we didn't read, is they go. So Moses goes back to his father-in-law Jethro and he asks permission to go back to Egypt. And Jethro says, that's fine, go in peace. So Moses goes back. But on the way, the Lord tells Moses that he's actually going to harden Pharaoh's heart so that when Moses goes to Pharaoh and says these things, Pharaoh isn't going to agree to go along with the plan. He's going to say no, and it's going to become difficult. Then as they get to Egypt, Moses and Aaron, they call the leaders of Israel together and they tell them all that's gone on at this burning bush. They tell them the story of what God has said and what God will do. And the people at that moment, they believe the good news. They're very open to it. They're receptive. All of Moses' fears about they're not going to listen to me are not realized in that moment. But then Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and carry the story forward. And as the Lord had told them, it doesn't go well. Pharaoh not only says no way, 
but he's so irritated by the fact that they have broached this subject that he now doubles down and makes their life much more miserable in slavery. He has the supervisors who are overseeing their brick-making work no longer provide them with the straw they need to make the bricks, but they have to meet the same quotas of production. So they're no longer given the materials they need to do the work. They, they now have to go find their own straw and then make the bricks with it, but they're not given any more grace in terms of being able to, to adjust their production to fit their new situation. So they are now really, really, really stressed. They're working uh, kind of an impossible job. It's backbreaking work. And the people become kind of instantly furious with Moses. And the supervisors go to Moses and they say to him, the Lord look upon you and judge because you have brought trouble on us and you're going to get us killed now. So the people begin to turn on Moses. And then Moses to the Lord says, how could you do this? Why have you mistreated this people? Why have you sent me to do this? You haven't done anything to deliver your people like you said you would. That's where our text picks up. So it feels a little bit like we're starting the same old, same old conversation over again, but we're not. Because what we're doing now is we're rehearsing some of the same themes of that initial conversation Moses had with the Lord at Sinai, but now we're doing it at a moment where Moses has tried and it didn't really go very well. And so Moses is now coming back to the Lord from a place of saying, actually, reality begins to say something different than what you're saying, God. The circumstances that we're facing seem to testify against your whole plan and promise. So why should we follow you? I don't know if any of that sounds familiar, but have you ever found yourself in a, in a situation where the things that you go through in your own life, whether it's suffering or relational conflict or just plans that didn't work out, heartbreak, death of a dream, frustration, vocational frustration? Have you ever found yourself in a place where you're thinking, if God were good and true and who he says he is, I wouldn't be experiencing this right now. That's where Moses is. That's exactly where Moses is. If God were trustworthy, if God were who he says he is, Pharaoh would not be doing what he's doing. I would not be in this situation. Our people would not be screaming out and suffering. This isn't working. But what God begins to do next as he picks up the conversation in this moment is he tells, Mo he tells Moses, look, the story isn't over. The story isn't over because the Lord is going to prove himself faithful to carry through what he's begun. And he reminds Moses of the promise that he's made. And he begins to tell Moses, look, I made a promise way back to your ancestors, to Abraham, but I didn't give them the full story. Abraham didn't get to know the name of the Lord the way you're going to get to know it. And what we believe that means isn't simply that Abraham never knew the Lord by name necessarily, but that the power of that name, all that that name conveys, 
the I am as redeemer, that that was not known as fully before the time of the Exodus because it took the situation of rescue to begin to know the Lord as rescuer. And so here we get to this point in the story and it turns out that there's this larger purpose at work beyond just a simple exit from Egypt. The Lord is going to reveal something about who he is to Pharaoh and he's going to reveal something about who he is through the interactions with Pharaoh that will forever shape the imaginations of God's people that will forever shape the faith and the practices of God's people because it will be through this high drama, crazy adventure that's about to unfold that the most important feasts and memories and family stories and religious rituals begin. The Passover, the feasts, the remembrances, even the identity of the Lord at the beginning of the law of the people is, who is it? Is I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When the Lord introduces himself to his people and gives them a way to live in the world, he doesn't start with creator. He starts with redeemer. I am your rescuer and I'm remaking you in my image. And he gives this promise reminds Moses of an old promise. I will be your God and you will be my people. And the circumstances that seem to testify against that, those don't speak most truly about you. And as a people of faith, as we're talking about letting this story give us a kind of script through which we live into the world, when you and I find ourselves in those places where we're feeling like the stuff of real life is actually eroding my faith, that my ability to trust God, my willingness to go the next step and keep moving forward in faith is shipwrecking against the jagged rocks of real life. If you haven't ever found yourself in that situation, you will. And you won't be the first and you won't be the last. And this is why we need each other. And this is why God places us in family so that we move forward together, reminding one another of the truth of who God is because every one of us will go through those dark nights of the soul where we need the faith of someone else to hang on when we cannot. And you will get your turn to be the one who hangs on and stands in the gap for your sister, your brother, your sibling who is unable to hang on themselves. We are part of a family and we are going on a pilgrim journey through the wilderness together, following our Redeemer. And that is often difficult. I will be your God and you will be my people. At the end of the day, the promise isn't about benefits. It's about the benefactor. We get God. Now there are benefits that come with getting this glorious benefactor who is the creator of heaven and earth and our rescuer and redeemer. But the real treasure, the real pearl of great price, the real beauty and joy and fullness of life isn't in any of the benefits. 
It's in God himself. And he gives himself to us freely and binds himself to us in this promise, this covenant promise of belonging. Now let's think about judgment. Because the Lord says here, I will redeem you with mighty acts of judgment. And that is meant to be understood as good news. Now think about this. When you hear judgment, do you think good news? Is that what that word sounds like to your ears? For most of us, I'm guessing probably not. And there's not necessarily a big problem with that. I think, you know, Jesus certainly, as he comes on the scene, we see him living in a way that he is not judgmental toward people. He's not coming as an angry God wielding a hammer. He's coming as the loving God extending embrace. And he even calls us in his own great sermon to judge not, right? Lest the standard with which you judge others be the standard by which you yourself are judged. So he calls us into a non-judgy way of living toward one another. That's very true of the character of God, especially as we see it revealed in Jesus. But here in this Exodus moment, when we talk about judgment or when the Lord says that he will redeem his people with mighty acts of judgment, what is he talking about? Well, the judgment of the Lord is rescue from the bully. See, judgment sounds like bad news if you're living in relative privilege and security and things are generally going well for you, because then judgment feels like some sort of unsettling of a status quo that's generally working in your favor, right? But when your back's against the wall and there's a bully towering over you and you have nowhere to go, judgment sounds like salvation because judgment takes the bully out. The people of God were enslaved by the biggest bully in the world. And the judgment of God that is coming is the prying free of God's beloved child from the iron grip of a world-class tyrannical bully. And so when the judgment of God is declared here as something by which God will deliver us, the judgment, while painful, is essential to the good news. Because here's the thing, we've all already talked about how we live out of stories of enslavement, right? And we live out of these stories of abandonment or estrangement. We live out of stories saying, I'm, I'm stuck and I can't get out. And we live by these stories of I'm alone, I'm on my own, no one's got my back. But wherever you are, whatever your situation is, if this story is gonna provide you with a kind of script with which to live into the world, the story is telling you that the God who loves you and knows you and seeks after you and is coming for you and has already come for you in Jesus is a God who is willing to do everything it takes to get you unstuck from your enslavement and to get you connected into a place of belonging so that you are no longer living in estrangement. And here's the challenge for each and every one of us. 
That's a rescue story. And the beginning of a rescue almost always hurts. What does it feel like to be delivered from the things that trap you? Well, for some, that's gonna feel like actually recognizing that you need help, admitting that you're not enough on your own to save your own life or to be healthy. For some, it's gonna look like taking steps away from something where you crave it so badly and you reach for it so badly so often that to not do it is gonna is gonna put you in a place of withdrawal that's gonna hurt. And it's tough to believe in those moments, in the cold sweat of early repentance, that this is what rescue feels like. And the people leaving Egypt go through the exact same thing as they're three steps down the road and they're like, man, we had onions when we were slaves. Let's go back. Leaving Egypt hurts. Leaving Egypt hurts. And so it can be, actually, it can take a lot of courage to take the next steps of faith on a journey where God is calling us out of Egypt and into a new way of life. But I will redeem you with mighty acts of judgment, says the Lord. That is not a proclamation of a judgy judge sitting in a judge's chair with a gavel and a robe ready to pronounce condemnation over your life. That is the pronouncement of your big friend who's bigger than the bully that is threatening your well-being, threatening your life. That is the big friend who stands in your corner against your addiction, against your selfishness, against your unwillingness to admit that you're not as great as you think you are and you actually do need salvation. We all have our things, but hope that is offered in God is a hope that meets us in our places of actual need, not in our desires to minimize it. So let's think about plausibility. Moses told all this to the Israelites, this is verse nine. Moses told all this to the Israelites, but they would not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their cruel slavery. They can't hear the news as good. They can't respond to it as good because they're just broken down. They don't, they don't have the ability to hear with fresh ears this good news. But what does God do? He doesn't adjust the message to fit what they want to hear. He doesn't dress it up in some other kind of package but he doubles down on the goodness of it. I'm going to keep moving this story forward. I'm going to keep carrying you forward toward the destination I've promised. You are not alone. I am with you. I will be your God. You will be my people. Moses will do this through God and God will do this through Moses. The Lord is committed to seeing through the good work that he has begun. And so the story continues to move forward even as the people resist, even as Moses continues to wrestle with his own doubt and his frustration. He's disappointed by how this is going, but the story continues. And here's the thing for us as we think about our own ability to receive the good news of Jesus as actual good news. Because as Terry already talked about, as we've already talked about, what we're doing here together is countercultural, which means we're swimming upstream, which means we're actually all the time 
bathing in influences, stories, images, messages, promises that carry us away from this hope that is offered to us in Jesus. We're offered a different dream. We're offered a different horizon. We're offered a different means by which to get there. But the Lord keeps the story moving forward and he awakens in his people the ability to get on board. Now in the Exodus story, that's gonna be high drama and it's gonna take a long time and there's gonna be a sea that stands up on its two legs, right? And they're gonna walk through on dry land and there are gonna be plagues and frogs falling from the sky and all kinds of crazy things. And so the people will see undeniable demonstrations of the Lord's majesty over against the gods of Egypt and all this stuff. For us, we probably won't get those kinds of clues. For us, what we need in order to have the kind of environment, spiritually, socially, relationally, that we need to live inside of in order to follow Jesus is we need a family. We need a spiritual family that rehearses the story. We need spiritual friendships in which we're walking with one another and reminding one another that we actually do belong to God and one another. We need to do life in community in such a way that when one of us is failing, when one of us is faltering, there's another of us to carry, to carry the load. There's another to pull, you know, two others to come alongside and lift you up. We need to see the image of God in one another. We need to hear the prayers of the saints over and over and over. We need to hear the words of the scriptures and we need to sing the songs of pilgrims. This is how we move forward through the thick and through the thin of life in the wilderness. And as we read this story forward to Jesus, and we recognize that the Exodus story doesn't even land and end in the promised land, the Exodus story is gonna keep moving forward all the way to Jesus, who's gonna lead a new and greater Exodus that's the one that we're on right now. What we see is that just as Moses got to see something of who the Lord is that the, those before didn't get to see, in Jesus, we see a lot more of who the Lord is than what anyone got to see before him. In Jesus, we get to see the full revelation of the heart of God and not just getting to know, oh yeah, your ancestors knew me as God, but you get to know me as the Lord. When Jesus comes on the scene, you get to know him as father. You get to know him as not just the one who dwells with you in the camp, but the one who will indwell your very body and soul as Holy Spirit. I will be your God and you will be my people. I will be your father. You will be my children, my family. I will dwell in you and among you and I will make you new. And not only that, but the promised land toward which you're heading is not just some slice of real estate in Palestine that's just over there and not over here, but it is in fact a world remade in which every tear will be wiped away. All the sorrow, all the sickness and all the death will be removed because God is our big friend who takes the bully out of the picture. He binds the strong man, he liberates us, he liberates his world and he says, and you are going with me on that journey. To whom do you belong? My only hope in life and in death is that I belong body and soul to Jesus Christ, says the Heidelberg Catechism, question one. That's the good news that we practice here together at resurrection and we need it and we need one another 
if we are to take next steps on this exodus journey of faith out of Egypt and toward the horizon of God's promise, the only way we go forward is as a family, belonging to God and belonging to one another. May God give us grace to take next steps. Let's pray. Our God, we need you. We thank you that you meet us in Jesus, our Redeemer. We thank you that you reveal your heart to us in this one whose outstretched arms on the hard wood of the cross display your heart as our rescuer. The one who is willing to do everything that it takes to purchase us by the price of your own blood, to rescue us by the power of your own hand, and to hold us fast by that same power that can raise the dead and create the heavens, by that same power you carry us forward. Would you give us the grace and the faith we need to tap into that heavenly power that you give us in your spirit, that we might be for one another the kind of family that creates a structure of plausibility for each and every one of us in which we may belong and come to believe. And as we do so, would you remake us in your image as those who love you and love one another? And would you give us the opportunity to bless our neighbors and our coworkers and our families and to embrace the work of our hands that you've established so that we might participate with you every day in your work of transformation? Help us to pay attention to your presence and to get involved. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.